Chapter 13 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Marching in Triumph. There was a blaze of excitement in the streets of Kioram when our procession appeared on the Grand Boulevard leading from the harbour to the fortress some four miles in length. We presented a strange appearance not only to the people of the city but to ourselves as well. Prior to our appearance before the people, we were obliged to adjust ourselves to the motion of an immense walking machine, the product of the inventive skill of Atvatabar. Governor Ladalmere explained the cavalry of Atvatabar were mounted on such locomotive machines, built on the plan of immense ostriches, called bokhokids, who were forty feet in height from toe to head, the saddle being thirty feet from the ground. The iron muscles of legs and body, moved by a powerful magnetic motor inside the body of the monster, acted on bones of hollow steel. Each machine was operated by the dynamo in the body, which was adjusted to act or remain inert as required when riding the structure. A switch in front of the saddle set the bokhokid in motion or brought it to rest again. It was simply a gigantic velocipede without wheels. "'We'll ride the beasts,' said Flat Hootley with suppressed excitement. "'Do you think you can accommodate yourselves to ride such a machine?' said the governor. "'We will find it, after a little practice, an imposing method of travel.' We were assembled in a spacious court that surrounded the private dock of the king. Into this dock the polar king had been brought for greater safety and also to facilitate popular inspection. I determined that both officers and sailors should equally take part in the honours of our reception and I informed the governor that we would like first to see how the machines were worked. At a signal from the governor, Captains Pra and Notothabok disappeared and presently returned to the courtyard, mounted on two gigantic bokokids, on which they coveted and swept around in gallant style. We were both astonished and delighted at the performance. It was marvellous to see such agility and obedience to the wish of the rider on such ungainly monsters. The sailors were only too anxious to mount such helter-skelters as the machine ostriches of Atvatabar. The stride made by each bird was over forty feet, and nothing on earth could overtake such courses in full flight. The governor, proud of his two-legged horses, as he called them, grew eloquent in their behalf. "'Consider an army of men,' said he, "'mounted on such machines. How swift! How formidable! What a terrible combat when two such armies meet, armed with their magnet spears! What display of prodigious agility! What breathless swerving to and fro! What fearful fleetness of pursuer and pursued!' Aided as we are by the almost total absence of gravity, our inventors have produced a means of locomotion for individual men second only to the flying motor. We possess also flying bokokids, who are our cavalry in aerial warfare. The enraptured sailors were only too anxious to mount the enormous birds and sally forth to electrify the city. Ninety-eight bokokids were required to mount the entire company. This number was brought into the courtyard by a detachment of soldiers who nimbly unseated themselves and slid down the smooth legs of the birds to the ground. "'I say, Your Honour,' said Flatootly to the Governor, "'have you any insurance companies in this country?' "'Why, certainly,' replied the Governor. "'Then I want to insure my life if I have to mount a boast like that. "'Oh, I'll see you are amply compensated for any injuries you may sustain by falling off the machine,' said the Governor. "'Sir, is your word as good as your bond?' inquired Flatootly. "'Certainly,' replied the Governor. "'Well then, sir, give me a bond,' said Flatootly. The governor duly put his signature to a statement that Flat Hootley should be compensated for any injuries received in consequence of his riding the Bokokid. Flat Hootley carefully deposited the document in a little satchel he carried in his breast, and thereupon, sailor fashion, climbed up the leg of the machine and seated himself on the gold-embroidered saddlecloth.
In like manner, the sailors got seated on their machines, the entire company forming an imposing phalanx. I found it quite easy to balance myself on the two-legged monsters, in consequence of the large base given to each leg by the outspreading toes. While the sailors were getting seated, a military band, composed of fifty musicians, each mounted on a bokkakid, played the march of Atvatbar in soul-stirring strains. The word of command being given, the great doors of the courtyard were flung open, and forth issued musicians with banners flying. Then followed the seamen of the Polar King, led by the Governor Koshnili and myself. The excited populace cheered a hearty welcome. A brigade of five thousand Bokkakids fell into line as an escort of honour. The ever-shining sun lent a brilliant effect to our pageant. Our complexions were lighter than those of the Atvatburis, who were universally of a golden yellow tint, and it was surprising to see how fair the people appeared, considering that they lived in a land where the sun never sets. None had a complexion darker than a rich chocolate-brown colour. This was accounted for by the fact that the light of Swang was not half as intense as that of the outer sun in the tropics. The diminutive size of the luminary counterbalanced its proximity to the surrounding planet. The light that fell upon that vat bar was warm, genial, glowing and rosy, imparting to life a delightful sensation. As the procession advanced, we saw splendid emporiums of trade chiselled of white marble, crowded roof and window with dense masses of people. On either side of the fine boulevard leading to the palace, the people were jammed into an immovable mass and were wild with enthusiasm. The roadway was lined with trees that seemed like magnolias, oranges and oleanders. Now this is something like a reception, said Flatootly. I'm well pleased with it. I'm delighted to know that your honour thinks so highly of our efforts to please you, said the governor. Flatootly turned round and shouted to the sailors. Remember me, boys, we'll have a grand feast at the end of the performance. As he spoke, he unfortunately touched the switch, starting the bocker kid into a gallop, and in a moment the machine dashed furiously forward, running into the musicians, knocking down some of the other bocker kids, scattering others in all directions, and then flying ahead amidst the roars of the people. Flathootly was thrown off his seat, but in falling to the ground managed to get hold of the bocker kid's leg at the knee joint, to which he clung with the energy of despair. A squad of police, who also rode bocker kids, dashed after the flying Flathootly, and one of them got hold of the switch on the back of the machine, and so brought it to a standstill. Flathootly was terrified but uninjured. His first concern was to see if his insurance was safe. He found the document still in his breast, and this being so, was induced to remount his steed. I hope your honour has met with no accident, said the governor, riding up. As long as I've your honour's handwriting, I'm all right, said Flathootly. If I break my leg, what odds, so long as I'm insured? The scattered musicians were assembled again in order, and the procession continued its way toward the palace. There were on all sides evidences of wealth, culture and refinement. Every building was constructed of chiselled marble. The fortress and palace of Kioram stood in a large square, occupying the most commanding position in the city. From the fort could be seen the white shores and surrounding sea of Atvatbar. The harbour was surrounded with white stone piers, lined with the commerce of the kingdom. The charm of the scene was largely lost on Flathootly and the sailors, who cared more for the material benefit of their reception than for its ideal beauty. The procession arrived at a pillared archway leading underneath solid walls of the fortress. These walls were fully 100 feet in height and 50 feet in thickness. The top of the walls consisted of a level circular roadway, whereupon a guard of Bokka kids constantly swept around with amazing swiftness. It was a sight grotesque in the extreme. The flying whaleels looked like a race between enormous ostriches and a wild confusion of legs on the lofty ramparts. Flaying devils let loose, was the subdued remark of Flathootly. 
There was a gay time in the banqueting hall of the palace. We were royally feasted, and for wine we drank squang, the choicest wine of that, that bar. The governor informed us that our appearance in the interior world had been heralded all over the country, and strange speculations had been made as to what world or country we belonged to. We know, of course, said he, that you do not belong to any race of men in our sphere, and this makes public curiosity all the greater concerning you. What country do you come from, said he, addressing Flathootly? I am from the United States, the finest country on the outside of the world, but I was born in Tipperary, said Flathootly. Ah, said the governor, I should be delighted to visit your country. You might be getting frightened, sir, at the dark every night, said Flathootly. What is the night, said the governor? Och, and have you lived to be a grey-haired old man and you don't know it's dark at night when the sun jumps round to the other side of the world? But it's never dark here, said the governor. True for you, but it's hard to be. How can a Christian sleep with the sun shining all the time? rejoined the Irishman. Oh, you can sleep here in the sunshine, said the governor, as well as inside the house. Does it ever rain here? said Flatootly. But little, replied the governor, not more than six inches of rain falls in a year. Bedad, you ought to be in Ireland to see it rain. Then you'd get soaked to your heart's content. And tell me, how do you grow your cabbages without rain? He continued. Well, said the governor, rain is produced by firing into the air balls of solid gas so intensely cold that in turning to the gaseous form they condense in rain the invisible vapour in the air. But dad, that's what they do in our country, said Flathootly. Only they explode shells of dynamite in the air. Can you tell me, he added, have you got tides in the sea here? We've never been able to discover what force it is that lifts the sea so regularly, says the governor. We call it the breathing of the ocean. Sure any schoolboy knows it's the moon that does it, replied Flatootly. The moon, queried the governor. Why, of course it's the moon on the other side of the world that lifts up the water both inside and out. You're awake in geography not to know that, said Flatootly. The governor looked at me for verification of this astonishing story. Where is that wonderful moon, he inquired, that I hear of? Where is the surface of the earth that slopes away out of sight? Just then, the bell sounded its message that called the people to rest, and the banqueting came to an end. We were forthwith shown to the private apartments allotted to us in the palace. End of chapter 13